You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. And the sexual desires in the world and in our flesh, it, it just creates more lust if it's outside the will of God. To be truly satisfied in an intimate relationship is, is found only in holy matrimony. But it's the way with any desire of the world. It doesn't laugh, doesn't satisfy. John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, you drink this water, you'll thirst again. You drink the water I'm going to give you, it'll, it'll yield of living water. The world holds up romantic love as the ultimate goal for every human being. If you can just find the one, your life will be complete. God gave us that desire, and it's not a bad thing. But our movies and books all tend to paint the same deceptive picture. And the reality is that even the most perfect marriage can't fill the emptiness that we each have inside of us. As Pastor Danny will explain in today's message, only a right relationship with God can bring that wholeness that we desire. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, with today's edition of The Living Word. to one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, chapter 22. And here's the story of Balaam. The Moabites have heard about the people of Israel. God is giving them great victory over vast armies and peoples much stronger than them. And so the king of Moab, Balak, sends some of his servants to hire a man named Balaam. Balaam is a sorcerer, and the intention is to hire him and pay him for his services to put a curse on Israel, because Israel is headed toward Moabite territory. But the God of heaven reveals himself to Balaam. And when these men from Balak come, chapter 22, verse 12, God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. Next morning, Balaam got up, said to Balak's princes, go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. And Balak sent other princes, more numerous, more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and they said, this is what Balak says. Don't let anything keep you from coming to me because I'll reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. They come back, more distinguished princes from Balak, and they say, Balak says, blank check. You fill in the amount. Whatever you want, he'll do for you. Balaam, verse 18, answered, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now he's calling the God of Israel his God. But verse 19 is telling. Don't miss it. 
Now stay here tonight, he tells these guys, as the others did. And I'll find out what else the Lord will tell me. What? You think God's going to change his mind? That night, God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them. But do only what I tell you. You think God changed his mind? He didn't. And I'll prove it in just a minute. But if someone is determined on a path, sometimes God will appear to have changed his mind just to teach them a lesson. That they should have listened to his clear word to begin with. Verse 21, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. The angel of the Lord is Christ in the Old Testament before he became the man Jesus. This is Christ. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. It's pretty bad when your donkey sees clearer than you see. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. And then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And he was angry. And he beat her with his staff. And I'll never get tired of reading or teaching this part of the story. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? And I can see Balaam scratching his head, and he answered his donkey. You made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. And the donkey then says to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you've now always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? In other words, is this out of the ordinary for me? And you can see him scratching his head again, thinking, he says, well, you know, you're right. No, no, you're a, you're a smart, smart jackass. <laughs> Smarter than Balaam. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, so he bowed low and he fell face down. And the angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. You are headed for trouble, and I'm trying to save you. Your donkey is smarter than you. Get some brains, dude. I've come here to try to save you because you're determined to go on a path and it's not going to end up where you want to end up. Balaam would later prophesy. He would pronounce blessing on Israel. Every time he does, Balak gets angry and says, I, I hired you to curse them, not to bless them. But what he says with his mouth is not what's in his heart. And when you get to chapter 25, it opens this way. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the man began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods, so Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. Numbers doesn't tell us, but Revelation 
does, it was Balaam who figured out a way and he told Balak, God is not going to allow me to curse these people. They're his people. They're blessed people, but there is a way. And he taught Balak, take your nicest looking women and go out to these Israelite men and invite them to one of your church services. You need to understand something. These men didn't simply go hop in bed with a chick. I don't know exactly how the conversation went. But I can imagine the introduction, and as they began to converse, oh, yeah, we're, we're Moabites. We believe in God. Oh, you believe in God? Yeah, we believe in God. And somehow, with the common denominator that they believed in God, they were able to get these guys to come to a, a service, one of their services. Just pause for a moment. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Is that connected? Well, this is one time when you can go back in history and you can see history bearing out that during this time of the church of Pergamum, it's the time of Constantine. Constantine was the first Roman emperor to confess conversion to Christianity. As a result of his confession of conversion to Christianity, he made religion, the state religion, Christianity. Now, on the surface, you say, what a great idea to have a Roman emperor, and he makes it state religion, Christianity. On the surface, it sounds good, but it didn't work out very well. Why? Two things happened. Number one. There developed two classes of people in the church, the clergy and the laity. And you had the practice of the nico, it means to domineer over, to lord over, nicolaitans, the laity. You had the priesthood working for Rome, the state religion is Christianity, so they're going to make sure you act like a Christian in terms of the definition of what Christianity is as Determined by the state. Two classes of people. The teaching of the Nicolaitans. Second thing that happened that was not good. And in some ways worse. The idol temples are now no longer idol temples because the state religion is Christianity. And so now the idol temples become Christian temples. But (laughs) some of the practices of the idolatry of the past continued on in the state-run, state-determined Christian religion. And what happened is this. Lines were blurred between secular and sacred. Lines were blurred between what is holy living and what's okay to do. And by simple association with other people who said, well, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. But the standards were lowered. And just by association with other people who believed in God and claimed to be Christian, people were seduced. And you began going to places that you should not be and doing things you should not do. And then you end up in bed with somebody and it's not biblically your husband and it's not your wife. And that's exactly what happened in the church of Pergamum. And that's 
happening still today. It was not the eating of food offered to idols. It was association with those who were worshiping another God, even though they might have claimed to be worshiping the same God. Now, let's get real practical here because it's not hard to understand. It's not hard to understand. What was Balaam's first mistake and what he would have been an example to and in his teaching led others into? What was his first mistake? Listen, it ain't rocket science. A child can understand it. You go back to the story in Numbers chapter 22. We just read it. And when God appears to Balaam, when these guys show up, to hire him to go put a curse on Israel. And what does God say? Do not go with them. Don't go with them. But there was something, especially when they came back with more distinguished people from Balak, and Balak has the blank check. He'll do whatever you want. I mean, come on, fill in the blank. And then he was enticed. And no matter what he said with his mouth, his heart wasn't true. He had a thy will, my will attitude. He was half-hearted. And while confessing outwardly, inwardly, something wasn't right. Repentance. Repentance. Likewise, you also have those who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Repent, exclamation point. Otherwise, I'll soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What's the sword of his mouth? It's the word of God. All of a sudden, he'd come, and the word of God would go straight to the heart, straight to the heart. And those that had sinned and those that were compromising in their Christian walk, they knew who they were, and there was going to be conviction. But the question is, with the conviction, were they going to make the right decision? And what would that right decision look like? Repentance for those who had fallen to sexual immorality would mean, obviously, repenting and stopping the sexual sin. But continued victory would mean no longer associating with those who had led them astray. Paul puts it very simply and clearly, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And so for those in Pergamum, some would have to break up with the girl friend, the boy friend. You say, that's hard. I love them. Jesus said, if your right eye offends you, plug it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. That is painful. That is bloody. But it'll save your life. Please, please, please. Maybe, maybe God wants to save somebody that's in a relationship and it's not in the will of God and you're not living holy and that person is not God's will for your life. And just like he did with Balaam, he's saying to you by the word, by the word, he's trying to save you from a reckless path. You end up marrying this person and you're going to live the rest of your life With someone that's not God's will for your life, don't do it. Run! Some of you are looking at me going, too late. (laughs) Doggone it. I wish I'd have heard this message five years ago. 
you don't have an out. <laughs> if you married outside of the will of God, the will of God now is that you stay married. Sorry. He's doing better, isn't he? I know them. And they know me. God's got our best interest at heart. But we're so easily duped. We're so easily seduced. And the sexual sin, you see, the sexual sin, it's so, it's so powerful in the hands of the, the enemy and the deceiver and the enticer because it's a natural God-given desire. Look, let me just say, look, every song about romance, every movie about romance, every prince and uh, Prince Charming dream and all that stuff, that's from God. God created it. God created it. And so it's a God-given desire to have somebody that you long for, that you want to love and be intimate with. It's God-given. But we live in a fallen world, and we're fallen creatures, and the devil is so powerful, and so he's such a liar. So please, 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 don't be deceived. And if you're on the way down the wrong path, or if you've gone down the wrong path, thank God. He said, look, look, repent, repent. Repent. And then he closes this way, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the ear is more here, here. To him who overcomes, I'll give some of the hidden manna. I'll also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. And I'll spend the last few minutes on the reward for the overcomer. Reward for overcomer. Hidden manna. What is that? God told Moses to take some of the manna that God supernaturally fed the Israelites with in their wilderness wandering and put some of it in the Ark of the Covenant. And so when it's put in the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant represents Christ. So the manna is in the Ark. It's hidden from the world. And you have to be in the Ark to get it and to see it. And in the Ark is to be in Christ. you got to be in Christ. Hidden manna. And what is that? It's heavenly food that the world cannot see and has no access to. And I was going to take the time. I don't have the time now, but you can read John chapter 6. Jesus there says, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Moses gave you bread. But yeah, they, they ate that bread and they died. You feed on me, you'll, you'll have everlasting life. And then they complained in John 6 that Jesus said that. He said, he, who, what's he talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? He says in verse 63, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And what he's saying is follow me, feed on me, deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life and you'll find it. It's heavenly food the world can't see. It's also spiritual food that yields eternal satisfaction. The world and the sexual desires in the world and in our flesh, it just creates more lust if it's outside the will of God. To be truly satisfied in an intimate relationship is, is found only in holy matrimony. But it's the way with any desire of the world. Doesn't lab, doesn't satisfy. John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, you drink this water, you'll thirst again. You drink the water, I'm going to give you. It'll, it'll yield torrents of living water. 
You want to be satisfied? You'll never be satisfied by giving in to the world's ways and the world's desire. Hidden manna and also a white stone with a new name. What is that? The white stone, it was called a tessera. It was used as an invitation, a means of admission, a ticket into a banquet. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 20, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, you have access to me and we'll sit down and we'll have great fellowship together. Access. Second, not only access, acquittal. 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul is dealing with issues there where Christians are not living and walking with the Lord, not living righteously and walking with Christ, and and things happen in their lives to look to discipline them. And he says there at the end, these things are happening so that you won't be condemned with the world. Don't act like the world. You're not of the world. Acquittal. Access, acquittal, and then third, new status. By the way, on the acquittal, ancient courts, the judge had a little white stone and black stone, and when the case was finished, they would walk by and earn the, 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 the jurors. And if they believed that they were guilty, they'd drop in the black stone. If they believed they were innocent and uh, acquitted, they would put in the white stone. It's where we get the term being blackballed. Third, the white stone with a new name, its new status. From Abram to Abraham. From Cephas to Rocky. From Jacob, dirty, rotten, sneaky thief, to Israel, governed by God. And then finally, intimacy. How many of you have nicknames? How many of you have nicknames? Look how many nicknames. Yeah. You know what? And I don't know what your nickname is unless I know you personally. But those who know you personally, they don't know your nickname. A nickname is for those relationships that you're most close to. And they're the only ones that know your nickname. It's a very personal relationship. It's a very intimate relationship. I love continuing to study even passages that I've read through, studied, taught on many times. And this is one of them. And I love continuing to study because it's an inexhaustible book. It's a living book. And I found something that was interesting yesterday that I had not found in my previous studies. I want to leave this with you, and then we'll close. I discovered in my continued study on the Church of Pergamum that the technique of preparing sheepskins into parchment or paper was developed in ancient Pergamum. And here's what the Lord gave me. It reads like a commentary. But God gave it to me. I write, I find this fascinating in light of the message to this church. For those in Pergamum who refused to repent, Jesus would fight against them with the sword of his mouth. This is, of course, the word of God. And just as a slain lamb's flesh would become the source of that which someone would write words upon, so the Lamb of God, who is the Word of God, slain from the foundation of the world, speaks to those he loves, exhorting them to overcome, to partake of the hidden manna, to not be condemned with the world, and to enjoy the sweet fellowship that comes from separating themselves from the world. 
We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience, and thanks for tuning in today. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of The Living Word? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and open their hearts to the truth of His Word. Please pray also for us. We want to continue following God's plans for this program, no matter where He asks us to go. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to The Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality messages possible so as to not distract from the Word. That does incur some costs, however. So if you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Any amount is used for this ministry and is greatly appreciated. Thanks for praying about this. While you're at our website, you'll be able to listen to additional teachings from this series in Revelation, as well as learn more about the Living Word. That website once more is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We pray God continues to bless you as you study His Word and open your heart to His love and grace. Thanks for listening today to The Living Word.